So, uh, Pastor has been, uh, he started a series, he gave us the introduction the last two weeks called uh, Perfectly Abnormal. Uh, and uh, how many of you have been challenged by that? You know, some of, every one of us want to just fit in and be normal, but you know, God called us to stand out and to follow Him. And if you decide to go all in and follow Him, it's going to look a little different to folks. So, uh, today i am been charged sort of to help continue it in his stead. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about the next phase, the first sort of phase of being perfectly abnormal. We're going to talk about what it means to be children of God. So I guess to start off this, I gave them a picture I hope they could put up right now. If you guys will go ahead and put that up. I want to show you a, a photograph that was recently take, taken. There it is. Look at those guys right there. That way, if you get tired of looking at me, you can look at them. Is that all right? No, but these guys right here, if you don't know, are my kids. That's uh, Joseph, who's 11, and that's Daniel, who's 7. And I have any parents in here? I'm sure there's several of you who are parents and know what it is. Kids, man, they can be your greatest joy. Man, I, I can't, I'll never forget those moments when they uh, brought them to me, when I saw them there in the, uh, the delivery room, the first moments. All those things are special, and they're great. Uh, but they don't tell you that that moment doesn't last forever. And, you know, as blissful as that is, there are going to be moments when you start looking at them and you're like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Um, I was thinking about this. It, it, sometimes I, I love my kids, obviously, but, you know, I'm just going to be real because y'all know PB, I have to be real. And some of y'all are going to look at me a little weird, but y'all know y'all have done this too. So don't, don't try to be sanctimonious today. Can we do that? There are days when I look at my kids and I see what they're doing, playing around and just doing stuff. And I've, I've, I've literally verbally said it. I've looked at my wife and said, why are our kids so weird? Again, some of y'all give me those looks. Y'all know y'all thought it if you didn't verbalize it. What in the world are these kids doing? Like I look around and see my kids and what they play. And again, I'm not y'all. Y'all, y'all probably know my youngest seven, Daniel, who's seven. You know he has he's dealing with some unique challenges. And so I'm not what I'm talking about. So again, don't start you know painting me as less than the father of the year here. Okay, that's not what I mean. But I'm just talking about some of the different things that I look and I'm like I don't quite understand what they're doing. I see my my oldest boy and he he's enthralled with wrestling and stuff like that. And he just everything is wrestling. He's gonna play wrestling video games all the time. And then he's got like this huge jug of at least 250 wrestling figures and he's going to have his own matches and leagues going on they're spread out everywhere and then he he has to tell me what's going on because he thinks I need to know and so uh, he's got you know these pay-per-views going on and this is his champion this day and these are who are going to fight tomorrow and then he goes from there to, to reading a book and when well, you know the book's on wrestling and I and I look at my wife and I'm like this kid's weird what is going on then I realized something Maybe I had something to do with it. Sometimes my oldest son, he gets, he's really competitive and really loves playing games. And, you know, he just won't, when he's not doing something wrestling related, he wants everybody to sit down and play games with him. And he likes to have attention. And he likes to make sure that everybody's kind of looking at him. And I look at my wife and I say, man, he's so weird. Then I think, well, maybe he come by that honest. Then I thought maybe, okay, it's just the oldest. I've got a second chance. The Lord has given me a younger son. So you know how it is. You know, whatever I messed up with on the, the oldest, now's my time to get it right. Amen. And I remember my youngest son laying in his bed one night as I walked by, trying to be quiet because he was supposed to be asleep. But, you know, I walk by and if he even senses the movement or, or, or smells a, a different thing in the atmosphere, I don't know what it is, which sense it is, but he can just tell I'm there. 
Daddy, come let me put you in a chin lock. I'm like, now what kid is laying in bed needing to go to sleep and is going to yell out from his room to come put his dad in a chin lock? That's weird. But again, in actuality, he knows that because I've put him in chin locks. So he's learned chin locks. Is anybody with me to this point? Now, you know, there may be, you can look and tell, I think there's just a little bit of physical resemblance to my kids, but the fact that you can know they're my kids, even without the physical resemblance, if you stay around them long enough, eventually you're going to see what? Some characteristics. They're going to begin to act like their father. Does this make sense? And sometimes it may seem abnormal to the person who is on the outside looking in. Because who does that? But if you know and see the goings-on between the father and the children, does it then begin to make sense? Listen, as we're moving on into this series, the thing I want us to talk about today is this idea that we are going to be perfectly abnormal because the closer we get to our father, the more we're going to look like his children. And just like my children have some weird tendencies because of what they've experienced from their father, we're going to have some tendencies that start showing up as well when we start looking like our father. Now again, don't get me wrong. Did I just call God weird? I'm not saying God is weird. God's perfect. He's he's everything that's right and true. Amen? But guess what? When you start acting like God, you're not going to look like everybody that's acting like the world. This makes sense? Let's move into Scripture and I'll show you what this looks like quickly. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting with verse 15. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. This is Jesus sort of teaching His disciples and telling them what they could expect and what are things that they're going to see. He begins to talk in Matthew 7, starting with verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? Their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good what? There's that word again. But bad tree will bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear... Now again, that all sounds pretty common sense. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So therefore, by their what? Say it again. By their what? Their fruits are how you will know them. So I need you to understand what Jesus is telling them. He's going ahead and saying there's going to come a point where people may be able to talk the talk. Does that make sense? Let me put it a different way. They may be able to dress and look the part. They're going to be able to do the things that make you think just from the outside, just on the surface, that everything is perfectly okay. They're going to to be able to to speak Christianese. They're going to be able to listen to the music, and so you'll think, oh, they must be a good person. But just because you have everything right on the outside does not mean that everything's right on the inside. Are you all with me? There's a lot of people in the name of Christianese who can get up and preach, and then they can make make it sound good. They have the right vocal inflections, praise God. They, ha- they wear the suits and they have all the nice things and the production on stage. And man, they'll, they'll have you convinced to give them all your money. And they're in a bit of substance behind anything that they've said because they simply want your money. 
There's people who simply want a following. They like to, to have the power of feeling like they can control people, so they want people to, to be on their side, and so they'll say whatever they, they can to try to get you on their side, get you on their team, get you as a part of their camp, so to speak, become sort of some sort of cult leader, and we think that these people are anointed because a lot of people are following them, and that's just simply not true. Does this make sense? Jesus is saying that these people are going to come. Well, I know I'm talking about sort of in the ministry, but guess what? There's a lot of people who come and sit on seats every single Sunday and Wednesday across America, not just at all seasons, but anywhere. They come and they sit and they follow and they meet the weekly routine and they do everything that they're supposed to. Man, I've, I've made it to church. I can check that off the list. So-and-so saw me at church. I can check it off the list. I took a selfie with so-and-so at the church. Check that off the list. Everybody now will like that picture on Instagram and know I went to church. I even checked in so they know exactly where I went and what time I got there. So nobody can say, oh, he didn't go to church this week. They went to church. They must be doing well. Is this okay? And we think that just those things alone, if you're not careful, we think that those are the things that make us close to God. And, and the reality is that's sort of the surface level activity. Let's be real. We live in Mississippi. It isn't really, it, it's really normal to go to church. I dare say. I know, you know, some places it's not. It's just the fact that you came in would be abnormal. But I mean, let's be real. There's a lot of people today that got up and went to church. The difference is, is there's, it becomes abnormal when you actually go to church and something changes in your life. It becomes abnormal when you go to church and it's more than just a place you go to fill time and to check a box. It becomes a place that becomes a family to you and you're willing to commit to it, connect to it, and do everything you can to allow it to change your life. Is this Okay. Listen, a child of God is recognized by the fruit that he or she bears. Understand something. I know that our society today, really for a while, but definitely today's society has sort of created this moniker, and, and, and I get where it comes from, but we believe the Bible says, hey, don't judge. Only God judges. And, and I agree with that. The only person who's going to have a say whether or not I get into the gates of heaven is the Father. Nobody in here will have that, that authority. But, this is where we kind of mess up, we think because nobody can, ju- nobody can judge us or allow us in the gates, then that means that we can simply do what we want to and nobody can keep us accountable. Does that make sense? You see, true Christians who are abnormal like to be accountable. Does this make sense? Listen, I'll, you don't believe that, that people don't like... Account- unaccountability has become normal. You know, I, I watched The Office a lot, and one of my favorite characters there, obviously, Michael Scott. And one of the things that, you know, I remember he said when uh, in one of the episodes, his boss brings, uh, hires somebody that's going to oversee him and be there in the office. And he goes to his supervisor and says, I was under the impression that I was not going to be managed. I did not want to, I don't like this. I was under the impression I was going to be able to do what I want to. Now, I know that sounds like it's humorous, but let's be honest. In our Christian life, a lot of us want the goods that come with Christianity. We want to go to heaven. We want to check the boxes. But not a lot of us want to be accountable. We like the theology that says, hey, you just do you and do whatever you want to and let the chips fall where they may. But we were called to be fruit checkers. We were called to be fruit checkers. Does that mean I need to go get in your business and tell you everything? No, 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 no. But the reason why that I become and I'm connected to a faith family here is that what Paul said in the Galatian church, he said, if you see a brother who has fallen, you mean you see somebody who has messed up, who's somebody whose fruit maybe isn't producing the way it needs to and something looks off, we have a role and a responsibility to go to that brother and to go to that sister, and we're supposed to lift them up and help them get back to where they're supposed to be. 
It takes a lot, of, a lot of humility for that to happen. One, it takes humility for you to be willing to, to speak that because it's hard for, for us to, to want to... We don't want to offend anybody. It also takes humility for you to be willing to submit and allow people to be voices in your life. Is this okay? Jesus says that if you're going to be my follower, you, there has to be accountability. You have to allow the Holy Spirit and my Word and, and, and the people who study and know my Word to be able to hold you accountable and to keep you accountable for what I need. So we're going to be judged by this fruit that we bear. He said in order to bear fruit, we have to abide in Him. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in Him, He's going to bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have a task. If we're going to be children of God and we're going to carry on the character of God, if we're going to carry on characteristics that God has, if people are going to look at us and be able to tell that we are children of God, then we have to allow Him to abide in us. And as much, we have to stay in Him and allow His fruit to come forth in our life. Does this make sense? This is the natural outgrowth of being attached to the vine, Jesus Christ. The apostle described the fruit of the Spirit. You know what they are in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that, that we as children of God should carry. These are the characteristics we should carry. Now, you may have heard me say this before. I'll mention it right here again. A lot of times, I growing up, I would hear that, and we would talk about the fruit of the Spirit. There's about seven different things listed, right? So we kind of thought, well, I've got that gentleness there, but don't be talking to me about no self-control. Well, listen, I don't think the fruit in the Spirit, I know sometimes in kids' church in different ways we kind of characterize each one as a different fruit, like an apple and a banana and a grape. I believe the fruit of the Spirit's more like an orange you ever, or, or a grapefruit, a citrus fruit. You ever cut one of those open down the middle? What does it look like? It has wedges. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody with me? I think of the fruit of the Spirit as like each of those wedges is one of those things. In other words, if you're truly born of the Spirit, you can't simply say, well, I'm gentle, but I ain't going to have any self-control. No, if you're fruit of the Spirit, I believe all of these are a part of what should be coming out of your life. We shouldn't be sitting here and saying, no, I'm going to pick and choose. That's not the way this works. Let's continue moving. So the first characteristic that a child of God has, if you want to be identified as a child of God, if you want to know if somebody is just simply a church member, a church attender, or a true child of God, you're going to see that they're going to be bearing spiritual fruit. It's not just going to be a tree. You know, I mean, again, let's be real. If you came to my yard and say, hey, i got an apple tree in my yard. You want to go see it? I mean, nine times out of ten, if you go and look at that tree and there's no apples on it, are you going to be real excited? <laughs> No, for the most part, if I'm promising you a fruit tree, you want to go see the tree and you want to be able to taste what? You want to be able to taste the fruit of the tree. The same way with the child of God. If we're going to claim to be believers, if we're going to claim to be a part of this thing that God has called us to be, then there has to be fruit that begins to, to be pour out of our lives. And so let's talk about three specific things I want to show you today. Three specific practices that as a child of God you have to have. Is everybody ready? So if you're a note taker, this is your, your, your moment. These are the three things based on the fruit of the Spirit that you need to have. And the first one is obedience. Obedience. Listen, I showed you my children there and I'm, they're, they're, they're far from perfect in their moments and definitely my oldest one's starting to get to that age where he's looking for ways he can kind of, you know, buck authority when he can. Not in a bad way, but just as natural kids do, Right? But I can tell you there's one thing, though, they kind of know once they get to the point. At the end of the day, once we've reached the line, once the voice has reached a certain inflection, anybody hear me? Once, once you know, the paddle or the belt has been shown, 
There's a moment where they realize, I better just obey. At this moment, I'm going to do what my parents have called us to do. And then ultimately, though, we know that children, as they're young, ultimately they're going to mature. And when they grow up, the hope is that they'll continue to obey what they've been taught, even if there is no threat of any of those things. Does that make sense? Well, listen. If we're truly going to be children of God, He expects us to do what He asks us to do. So, if you're going to be a child of God, you need to obey God's will. Obey God's will. Now, a lot of times we really blow this up and we really could get into deep teaching over weeks dealing with what the will of God is and the different forms of God's will, His sovereign will, and then His command will, and His permissive will, and all those types of things. But let's just start with, there's certain things that God has commanded us to do that are the will of God. When we start preaching, this is, and I say we because this is me, when I used to hear the will of God, and even now, man, my, my immediate action goes into what specifically He wants me to do right now. As far as what my specific ministry is and giftings and callings are, what my next task may be. Anybody understand what I'm saying? But we don't spend enough time realizing that there's a will of God that He wants every single one of us to do. And it's already laid out in His Word. I don't have to lay in the floor and wait for Him to prophetically declare it in a a loud voice. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but I don't need the, the light of heaven that shined the pall on the road to Damascus to shine before me to tell me that His will is for me to, to give in the offer. Does that make sense? He asked us to do that. To, to, to be a faithful church attender. I know I just talked about it. It is important. And again, I didn't have to have a prophetic declaration or, or a, a supernatural experience for him to tell me, hey, you need to go to church. Listen, to be nice to people. Well, the Lord didn't tell me to do that. Yeah, He did. It's in His Word all over the place. Jesus said the, love, the greatest commandments is to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That means everything that I can, that I need to do to fulfill His, His purpose, I need to do. And it'll love your neighbor as yourself. So therefore, again, when we talk about will, I know we sometimes think of those moments, and please, I know you may have thought I was being humorous or sarcastic. There are moments where the Lord has spoken directly to my heart in His Spirit and revealed things that He specifically wanted me to do, that He called me to do, and, and those things are mine, Okay? And those things will happen. But before I do that, I need to make sure I'm doing what He's called us all to do. Does this make sense? That's obedience. Doing the things that God's called you to do. Jesus in Matthew 21 tells a a, a parable of two sons. Again, familiar. You've probably heard it. There's a man who owns a a vineyard and, and goes to one of his sons and says, Hey, I need you to go work. I need you to go work for me right now. Apparently we... You know, if this was modern times, maybe the the son was sitting on the couch on his phone, checking TikTok or whatever, eating some Takis or whatever. And the father goes in there and says, hey, you need to get up and go to work. And the boy acted probably the way my my son would act. (gasps) Every time. Just, I need some me time. I need a mental health day. I just need you to leave me alone. He's kind of griping about it. But the Bible says that eventually, what does he do? He gets up and he goes to work. He goes to, the father goes to his second son, and to that son he says, hey, I need you to go out and go to work. Well, that son gave the opposite response. Oh, okay, yeah, let's go to work. I'll be there. Dad, you got it. You can count on me. But something happened and he never made it to the field. 
And so Jesus asked His disciples as He's teaching them, which one of these did my will? Is it the one who said He was going to do it but never got around to it? Or was it the one who even if it was mumbling in the moment, even if He sort of resisted a little bit, even if there were moments where He didn't understand and really want to do it, but did it anyway? Yeah, that's the one who did my will. Listen, I'm not sitting here telling you that it's always going to be just the happiest thing in the world. God, following the will of God, the reason we call it abnormal is because it isn't going to fit in with what everybody else would say. I mean, let's be real. If somebody does me wrong, the normal reaction would be for me to get revenge. The whole thing is abnormal because if you were to come and slap me, Jesus said to turn the other cheek. In what society does that make sense? Y'all with me? If I haul up and, you know, just deck you back, I'd have the natural response, but would I be following the role of Jesus, the commands of Jesus? This is where it gets hard. I know it gets quiet in this moment because now we're like, ooh, PB, you need to go back to something else. Go back happy. Put those pictures back up. You got to smile a little bit. Because this is where it gets tough. This is where it gets challenging. A lot of the things that Jesus is going to ask you to do, they're not going to look, even your feelings, they're not going to necessarily line up with the way you feel. That's why the Word says obedience is greater than sacrifice. That first son wasn't feeling it, but he went and did it anyway. And guess what? He was the one who did the will of the Father. I want you to note there's a difference between doing God's will and then there's rebelling against it or refusing to do God's will. A lot of the most miserable people you'll meet on this earth are people who have gone against what the Lord has told and asked them to do. You know, pastors mentioned it and preached on it. We talked about the last few weeks. There's people who get caught in cycles and get in these, these areas where they wonder why can't anything get better. And a lot of times you can trace those things to something, some step that the Lord had asked that person to do. The Lord is wanting you to give this up. The Lord's wanting you to step into this. Obey me here. Try this. And because we are not willing to take that step, we end up stuck in the same cycle over and over and over again and wonder why we're not seeing the breakthrough that God wants us to do. It's because we haven't obeyed. Obedience. Jesus emphasized the importance of doing God's will when He said, for whosoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, He is my brother and my sister and my mother. To be a part of the family of God, to be a child of God, you have to be willing to obey the will of the Father. That's part of it. I can tell you, when I was growing up, if there was ever a moment where my dad said do something and I decided I wasn't going to do it, that would be the moment I would no longer be welcome in the house. Some of y'all are looking at me crazy. Maybe I didn't grow up that way. You saying your dad would kick you out just because you wouldn't? What I mean is if I got to the point where I felt like his rule was not going to be the authority on me and I knew better myself, then he would say, well, you might as well go and do your own thing. You're no longer going to be welcome to the provision of a roof and groceries and bills that I'm paying for you right now. And now you know, you're getting with me because some of y'all feel it might be the same way. I told my, my boys are still young, but I'm going ahead, especially my older one right now, I'm telling them, look, there's going to come a day if you think that you're, you know, big enough that where you can make the decisions, it'll be the moment where you can go and live in your own house and make your decisions. Now listen, some of y'all are thinking, well, God, but... God's, God loves us. He's going to welcome them back. But listen, God is a God who, of authority. He's, he's given us free will. Does this make sense? If we're going to choose that what He asks us to do in His way is not the way we want to do it, He's not going to force His way upon us. He's going to allow us to go upon our own and see where it takes us. 
Does this make sense? He'll be there waiting when we come running back. Obeying God's will is essential for our relationship with Jesus and our Heavenly Father. So what is it that is God's will? Well, I just listened. I was thinking about it. What is God's will for every single one of us? Again, God may not will you to do as I'm doing right now and preach and proclaim or be a pastor, and God may not will you to teach, but He may. But there are things that every single one of us are willed to do that are in God's will that we all should do. First of all, He's willed for all of us to be saved. Amen? He wants every single one of us to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's not just His will for me and for us in here. That's His will for the world. His will is for you to come to that saving knowledge of Jesus. His will is for you then to be able to share that saving knowledge with somebody else. That means to be a witness. What, you're thinking, that's just you and Pastor Lot and all you pastor people's job, right? No, that's your job. That's His will for every single one of us. Because once you have come to a saving knowledge and He lifts you up out of the miry clay and sets you up on the rock and He frees you and He breaks chains off of you, it's your job to then go and proclaim what He's done in your life to the world. That's how the church is built. He then wants you to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify and purify you. Amen? There's a process that He wants every single one of us to go through. That means that when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah, He forgives all of our sins, but how many of you know there's still some of that junk and repercussions from the living for the world that we have to deal with? There's people who still deal with addictions and still deal with temptations and still deal with habits and all of these things that they used to do in the world. And I believe the power of the Holy Spirit can break chains instantly, but I also know that there's some people who the, the power of God wants to go through a process and help them purify. Does this make sense? He wants every single one of us to be pure and sanctified, not to keep living in habitual sin. Again, not a popular theology today, but that's just the way that the Lord wants us to live, obedience to Him. He wants us to connect with a faith family. I believe that. I try to be careful, but I'll, I'll just say what I think. That'd be okay. Or what I believe. Is that all right? I believe we're called to be a part of a church. I know that there's a lot of people who will preach and say, well, you don't have to go to church, get to heaven, and all that. But I do believe that the church was made. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. This is an entity that was divined by God. There's a reason that we meet. It's not just so you can see my face and hear my voice for 30 minutes and go eat a nice meal in a moment. Those are great things. But the purpose is for you to have people around you for that word I used earlier, accountability. I need people who will be willing to get in my business sometimes. Not too many people. y'all. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. But I need people who are willing when they see something off. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You see, because I'm here a lot. And y'all think, well, you have to be. Not, just forget that out of your mind. I'm here a lot, right? I'm, you know, most people see me every Wednesday, every Sunday. There's people who I know and I, I speak to each and every week. So there are people who have gotten to know a little bit of my disposition. And I guarantee you there are people, if I come in and there's something different about me, there's people who know me well enough who are willing to say, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's wrong? I'm not saying I come in down on the dumps for people to say. No, there's just people who I know... And I talk to, and just in conversation, they can pick up, just their spirit can sense, hey, there may be something going on. And they're willing to ask, and they're willing to talk, and they're willing to pray. Does this make sense? Guess what? If I'm only here once a month, that's not going to happen. When I'm here and I'm connected, then I'm able to glean from the benefits. My goodness. Man, every time I listen to pastor preach, 
or whoever's preaching, anybody who's speaking from the stage, to be honest. But man, I come and there, there's not a Sunday or Wednesday that goes by when I'm listening to the Word that something don't grab my heart and convict or, or challenge or push me further toward where I need to go. Guess what happens when I'm here and I'm receiving that constantly each and every week? I get pushed and propelled a little further. Is this okay? I know it's abnormal maybe to be here as much. But it's okay. I'm perfectly abnormal going after God. He wants you to connect with a faith family, to find mentorship. I promise you, that's the beauty of, of all seasons and of being what, what God has blessed us and what we've grown into. Do you realize that if you're going through something, I, I, it's almost a guarantee that there's somebody that's been where you are in this place. There's almost a guarantee that there's people who can speak and encourage you and help you walk through that trial that you're going through. I know they may not feel exactly, but I'm sure there's people who have been through similar situations who can guide you to where you need to be. I'm thankful for that. Don't just get into a place where everybody you, you're, you've proceeded through everybody. You're in, as Pastor says, you're in the wrong room if you're the smartest one in the room. Get somewhere where there's people who've been through some experience. But you also need to have a place where you can then plug in and pour into somebody else because I guarantee you just because there's somebody who's been through where you are who can help you through it, you've been through some things that somebody else is going through right now. And the Lord wants you to begin to pour into and connect with somebody and lead them to where they need to be. Is that all right? The church isn't a place just to pour, 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 pour in. Then you, once you get poured in, you can find you an avenue to start pouring out. Does that make sense? Then another thing that's in God's will, it's God's will for every single one of you. There's not one person that, that doesn't have a gifting, that doesn't have a talent, that doesn't have something the Lord can use. And I believe that it is God's will for the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you and for you to start walking in your giftings and your talents to grow His kingdom. Not just the people who are called and have that special role and go and get certificates. Again, all those things are great. But God's called every single one of you sitting here to do something for His kingdom. You need to allow Him to reveal it to you so you can start moving in it. Amen? It's good preaching, PB. Good job. Here's the second thing. He's called you to obey, obey what he is. But this is kind of what I alluded to. It leads to it. That sanctification and that purity is going to lead you to righteousness. We were called to live righteous lives. John, 1 John 3, I think I, it's back there. We pull that out. 1 John 3, verses 9 and 10. It says this Whoever's been born of God does not what? For a seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of nor is he who does not love his brother. Again, I know so much theology going around and so many thoughts. This can be, I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm about to say, but the truth is the truth. Is this okay? I do believe that every single one of us, as the Bible said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand what that means. When you're born on this earth, you're born as a sinner. We were all born sinful flesh because of the fall of Adam. That was part of the curse. So I understand that there's not a person in here who isn't of the flesh. Does that make sense? We all are flesh. There isn't a single one of us in here that's above the possibility or above the reproach of falling into sin right now today. I'm not speaking that over. I'm just speaking a fact, okay? Don't start getting spiritual. That's why we have to be careful. There's not a single one of us have reached the point where we're above sin. However... 
The closer we get to God, the more we're going to reflect His character, right? And so the more I reflect God's character, the least likely I should be to fall into temptation on a regular basis. You see, the closer we get to God, a lot of those desires will eventually begin to go away. And if they, if they don't go all the way, I, I, I'm not sitting here saying that there's some fleshly desires and if you give into them, they're always going to be there. But we learn that our love for God becomes greater than our thirst to sin. Our, our desire for His presence and what we receive in His presence becomes greater than any, any sort of high or any sort of, of feeling that we get for doing something that's wrong. Does this make sense? I was having a conversation with someone recently who had asked about this. Why can't, I just, why can't this desire or temptation just leave me completely? I say, that's not the way the Lord works. But the way He will work is if you'll keep going after Him and you'll keep seeking Him, you'll stop thinking about what it is that you want to be fulfilled in your flesh and you'll allow the Spirit to start giving you the, the substance that you need. Does this make sense? That's called sanctification and being purified. We become closer to the Lord. We become like the Lord. The Apostle Paul told, um, or it says this, whoever's been born of God doesn't sin. It doesn't say that we're never going to sin. We're flesh. But we reach a point where we shouldn't live in habitual sin. Let's move to uh, the third one, godliness. We're to live in obedience. We're to live in righteousness. We should live in a place where we're not habitually sinning. Then we should be godly. Paul talks to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.7. It says this, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Everybody say discipline. Again, I'll be careful, but I want to make sure I say what's true and what's clear here. There are a lot of things that are happening in this world that, that the enemy and, and, and his spirits are, in, are wrecking. Does that make sense? I believe that there is spiritual warfare that goes on. I believe that there are evil spirits and demonic spirits and things of that nature that are wrecking havoc on, in the world today. And there are people who are struggling and dealing with things because of those oppressive spirits. But I also believe that we in the church have found it an easy way out to just blame everything on a spirit with the hope that we can just be zapped or delivered in a, in a way that everything will be okay when actually the Lord wants to discipline some things out of you. It's not as much about deliverance a lot of cases as it is you just need some discipline in your life. In other words, there have been habits that I formed before I completely surrendered my life to Christ. And just as I was saying, I would go to altars and I would have people lay hands on me and I would pray and I would fast and I would seek the Lord hoping that those desires would just leave and I would just, just be free of them and I wouldn't have to think about them anymore. And you know how many times it happened? It didn't. And finally, the Lord spoke to me and said, listen, if you want to overcome this, you have to be willing to take steps to overcome it. The Bible says that His Spirit will give us the power to do so. Does that make sense? We can't do it on our own. Now, don't, again, mishear me. I'm not saying you can overcome sin. But He's not going to do it for us. He's going to help us through it. Is this making sense? There are certain things. I mean, if I, if I was battling alcoholism and I prayed for the Lord just to remove the taste of liquor from my mouth, but I'm still going to go hang out at the bar, is that going to make a lot of sense? I mean, people who have dealt with lust and just want to, man, God, if you'll just remove these. Well, I mean, humans are created to be humans. There are certain things that are in it. He's not going to remove 
the male hormones from me. Does that make sense? But what he can do is by I surrender to his spirit, his voice becomes louder in my mind. And so when there are times there may be some temptation, he says, okay, now's the time for you to look away. Now's the time for you to shut this down. Now's the time for you to get away from it. Does this make sense? The, what we do in the body of Christ, a lot of people want to, to, to be delivered, but they don't want to discipline themselves to the point where they can reach deliverance. That's where the abnormality comes from. My goodness, it's quite abnormal for you to maybe have a phone with a filter and none of your other buddies do, but that's okay. It may be what you need. Listen, I know that there's certain people who believe, hey, I don't watch TV. We don't have it in their house. And I'm not religious in saying that's what you have to do. But listen, if I was struggling with something and every time I turned on the TV, it would sort of bring my mind to that place, I would throw it out the window. Again, I don't get religious about music and things, but if I heard things through the, uh, my headphones or through my radio that started talking about drugs and getting me back to a place where I may want to do some things, I would throw it out. You have to make some abnormal decisions when you want to live godly. Is this okay? The Greek word for discipline that's used here is gymnazo, which means train oneself with full effort. The same word here is the root that we get the word gym from. Now, you want to talk about some abnormal people, man. People who will get up at like 4 in the morning every single day and spend two hours like lifting weights and running in a gym. I mean, from a guy that looks like this, I'm like, no, that's, that's too much. I'm going to go back to bed and grab a Twinkie when I wake up, you know. That's also the reason why when I look in the mirror, sometimes I'm like, ugh. If my discipline would reach that level, maybe I would have different results. Does this make sense? It's the same word he's using, train yourself. It's the same word for gym. There's another Greek word for godliness that is eusebia, which means piety or reverence toward God. It also means devotion. So I want you to think about this. Think about someone who's a professional level athlete. Maybe not even professional. It could even be amateur, but someone who's serious about being athletic. They're serious about doing something. I watch college football every week, and those guys are serious athletes. I mean, they're not just getting up in the morning, sleeping until 9, and, and going and playing the game. I mean, I, I work at a college and teach college athletes, and I, I sort of see some of their routine. Man, it's serious. You have to train and devote yourself to it. You have to love it or you're not going to last. Does that make sense? I mean, even people who I know, the kids I know that are softball players and they're serious about softball. Listen, it's not softball season right now. Does that mean that they're sleeping in and playing video games every week? No, they're going out there and they're, they're pitching. They're taking batting practice. Why? Because they're serious about it. If you're serious about something, you're willing to train and do whatever it takes to get there. Is this making sense? If you're going to be serious about following God, that's the way that we're supposed to train. The way an athlete trains with full effort, every child of God should train with full effort in reverence and devotion toward God. Hear me out again. There's no amount of effort you can do to save yourself. But once the Lord has saved you and He has washed you clean with His blood and He's brought you into the family of God, how close you get to Him is up to you. Y'all hear that? He's not just going to immediately come wish to you just because He likes what you're wearing or what your hair looks like. closer you get to God, you can get as close as you want to, but it's going to be on how hard you train and how much time you devote to Him. Amen? Same way when a dating relationship, man. I, I was introverted and kind of shy as, as a youngster, so I'd always be afraid of, I don't know, I don't know. But ultimately, come down to it, you can get close to anyone, anyone that you want to in a dating relationship as 
far as you're willing to take it. If you're willing to sit out time, if you're willing to make sure you dress right, if you're willing to make sure that you spray everything so you know you smell all right, if you're willing to practice everything you say so that when you say it, you don't look like a, you know, a goob. I mean, really, especially in today's day and age, my goodness, if you're willing to just go look them in the eye and say something to them. I won't get onto that soapbox, but I mean, today's society, we don't, you know, you just look in your eyes, open your mouth and say hello is kind of a big deal. You know a joke about that, but there's steps you have to take. Same way with God. If you're willing to take the time and set aside the time to say every morning I'm going to speak with you and spend time with you. Every afternoon I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to, I'm going to spend less time uh, soaking in the, the, the entertainment of the world and the things of the world, and I'm going to make sure I take time to, to, to fill up on the Word of God. That's, that's what it takes. That's the training that it takes. Is this all right? Ultimately, it leads to this last point. The child of God has to be led by the Spirit. The biggest difference, the biggest abnormality we have is because the child of God is able to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit instead of following the world's trends and whatever the world says we ought to do. When we're a child of God, the Holy Spirit becomes our guide for life. Jesus said, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to have to die. He told His disciples, I'm going to have to go. But I'm leaving you with a comforter and He's going to guide you into all truth. How po- you realize how powerful of a, of a tool and maybe even using the word tool is a disrespect. Do you realize the resource we have that lives on the inside of us as a believer in the Holy Spirit? I can't tell you the moments where I've been in where I've tried to look and I've tried to logically figure something out and I'll say, God, I don't know what to do. And I'm thankful the Holy Spirit in that moment will begin to rise up and speak to my spirit or begin to illuminate something that I've just read in His Word. And just in that moment, I no longer am confused or stuck or wondering what to do. I now have a clear direction on where I need to go. Listen, if you're sitting here today and you feel stuck and you don't know what to do, let me tell you, you need to get alone and allow the Holy Spirit to give you direction. He'll do it. The Holy Spirit helps us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It guides us in making decisions and what to do and where to go. A child of God has an active, dynamic relationship with God and follows the leading of the Holy Spirit in his or her life. Just as I said, as a a son, when I look at my parents, there have been many times where I've been talking to my kids or even talking to students at school or in a classroom or even students here at church and I'll say something if you're giving advice or maybe even correct or I'll say something as soon as I'm done I kind of have a jolt I was like oh my goodness I just sounded like my dad you ever have those moments listen my, my physical father there are things I say all the time I'm like oh I said I would never do that and here I am If I ever start telling jokes to waitresses, I know it's going to be over. I've jumped the shark. If I ever start telling them to keep the ticket, we're not staying for the drawing, that's when you know that something bad has happened. It was always his go-to. Some of y'all know. But there are things, my my father here on earth, that, that I notice. Listen, my spiritual fathers, there are times when I'm speaking or there are times I've gone to other churches and and spoken or been talking to staff and I'll say something, I'll realize it and I'll, I'll have the same jolt. And I'm like, oh, that sounded like Pastor Lot. Or I'll say, oh, that sounded like Pastor Tillman, my other spiritual fathers. I'm like, the more time I, you allow people though to pour into your life, 
I'm not talking just trying to mimic or copy. The more people who pour into your life, the more those things just begin to show up and come out of your life. You know, I never, I never get up here and try to mimic Pastor Lot, but I know there are times when I'll say things, and even even them, nobody else catches it. I'll say it in my mind. I was like, "Ooh, that sounded like something he would have said." Same way with God. The more that we get close to God, the more our lives will begin to reflect God. We don't have to go around telling people, "Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian." They'll just look at our lives, and when they see our lives, they'll begin to know, and they'll begin to see that's somebody who's who's been spending time with God. That's someone who's close to God. That's somebody who has some power in their lives. And no longer will they be living in dullness and living in work, but they'll be living in victory. Amen? I'll ask you to stand with me this morning. A couple of questions here. Rhetorical questions, things that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to probe your hearts today. I'll ask you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. Close your eyes. Just, I know that I know we have a dinner here in just a moment. Just stay with me for just a minute. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to your heart right now. Just begin to focus on Him. Forget about the distractions going on around you. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Again, you can answer. But are you exhibiting the characteristics of a child of God? As I said, when people look at my sons, there are things that they do, there's ways that they look, there's ways they walk, there may be ways they talk. But you may look at them and say, yeah, those are definitely PB's kids. Well, what about when people look at your life? Are they able to look at your life and when they see what you do and how you're walking on this earth, are they seeing children of God? Ask yourself this question, are you bearing physical fruit or spiritual fruit? Are you bearing spiritual fruit? Do people see goodness and kindness and peace and self-control emanating from your life? Are you obeying and doing God's will? There may be somebody here this morning, as I alluded to earlier, maybe maybe things feel like you're in kind of a rut or things feel stuck or things feel like they're not progressing forward and maybe maybe the Lord needs to remind you of something that He needs you to do that you haven't said yes to this morning. Are you doing His will? Are you doing what He's called and asked you to do? Are you practicing righteousness? Are you training with full effort to your devotion to God? Are you seeking and receiving the Holy Spirit's guidance as you study Scriptures? Are you just simply relying on your own logic? Listen, in this moment, if you're in this place, I just ask right there where you are to allow Holy Spirit to reveal His will to you, to reveal His heart to you. And I want this to be a moment just between you and Him right there where you are. This doesn't take any special call, doesn't take any special movement. You're just right there where you are. I want you to begin to surrender those areas to God right now. Father, we thank You so much this morning that You've given us Your many blessings. Father, I thank You for each and every person that's here. Father, today I just pray, Lord, that You will help us to carry on your characteristics here on earth. Father, you have called us, you've designed us, and you've led us to be your hands and feet on this earth. But Father, we can't be your hands and feet here on the earth if we're not willing to do what you've asked us to do. So Father, today, Holy Spirit, right now, for each and every man and woman, boy and girl that's in this room, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll begin to speak and reveal your will in their life. 
Father, remind them of the things in your word that you have called us all to do. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll begin to give, give thoughts and give insight and vision into your, your commanded will for each one. The things that you have called and asked them to do. The giftings and the talents that you've placed on their lives. Father, I pray that you'll begin to call them out. Reveal them. Father, I pray that you help us to obey your voice. Father, if there be anyone that's living right now in disobedience, that you'll help pull them, remind them of what you've called them to do, and give them another opportunity, God, to obey your voice. Father, help us to live righteously. Help us to commit, God, to, to, to allowing your Holy Spirit to sanctify and purify our hearts. And Father, giving us the insight and the discipline we need, God, to become the men and women of God you've called us to be. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be led by your Spirit. Don't let us live by the world and its ways. Don't let us rely on our own logic and intellect. But Father, let us rely on your Spirit and what He is commanding and guiding us to do. We give thanks for everything that you've done in this place and you're going to continue to do through your people. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You guys have a great day. Go give the devil fits.